Well, good morning. I wasn't throwing these away, though I should. I mean, I was assigned these things by Lisa. I think that's where they belong. <laughs> Sunglass Sunday. We're just having fun, guys. Did you know it's National Sunglass Sunday? That's why we're doing it this week. I did want to remind you all that uh, we are, even though we're not meeting here on Wednesday nights over the course of the summer, we do have a Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30. It plays on our live stream. You can find it on our Facebook page. And we're working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, so if you are available about 6.30 on Wednesday night, or you can also pick it up after that time, our Bible study uh, for the summer. Now, I can't see too well because the lights are in my eyes, but how many of you guys like the Avengers? Okay. You know, guys like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, and there in the back is the Hulk. The Hulk. He's one of the favorites, isn't he? And I think in some ways he kind of embodies a whole lot of us. When he's Dr. Bruce Banner, his most famous line is, please don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me if I'm angry. Because anger turns him into that, right? Which I think is what a lot of you guys look like when you get mad. And then there's that line in The Avengers, that movie The Avengers, that I think kind of symbolizes our culture. I mean, they're all under attack and they need the Hulk, so Captain America turns to Bruce and he says, now might be a good time to get angry. And Banner says, that's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. I'm always angry. And he morphs just like that. That's my secret. I'm always angry, and I can turn green just like that. Does that describe any of you guys? I bet it does. So any of you guys know anybody with an anger issue? Any of you all? Go ahead and raise your hand. You know somebody with an anger issue? Now, if I were to ask that question of your family and friends, how many people would think of you as being the one with an anger issue? And I don't want you to raise your hand on this one, but... How many of you guys would admit that maybe you have an anger issue? And if you do, do you have any clue how dangerous that is spiritually? What a wedge that can drive between you and God. What a wedge that can drive between you and the people of God. When I dug around a little bit last week on the internet because I expected to find headlines like these. Angry Americans. What the future holds. Here's an op-ed, outrage culture, out of control. You buy that? There's a poll. Americans say that we are angrier than we were a generation ago. Certified statistic, that's what it says. I don't know who it's certified by, but basically it says 70% of all Americans are angry every day. 31% says that they're really angry every day. Half of our population say they're angrier than they have ever been. Keep on going. America the angry. Politics has us livid. Can we calm that rage? Good luck with that. The real roots of American rage, the untold uh, story of how anger became the dominant emotion in politics and in our personal lives. What are you going to do about it? There's a column, rage culture, a threat to finding common ground. No kidding. Culture defined by rage, outrage culture, what it means. Why does it matter? If that stuff is true, guys, do you have any clue how dangerous 
that is spiritually. What a spot that puts us in with God. Do you care? I mean, some of you guys, and maybe some of us, it's kind of like we go through life with gritted teeth on the edge, just waiting for somebody to provoke us. We're polarized. We're angry with each other. We turn on each other. Families turn on each other. It's ugly. Christian families turn on each other. Do you have any idea how dangerous that is spiritually? What kind of a wedge that that will drive between you and God? What kind of a a wedge that will drive between you and the people that God calls you to love? Guys, we're in the middle of a little series that we're calling Why Big B? Why Big B? When you believe in God, but. When you believe in God, but. And we're kind of dipping into the Sermon on the Mount looking for those when you believe in God moments, but. But you live like you don't. And this is one of them. When you say you believe in God, but you live with an anger that is out of control. And that's a problem, a way bigger problem than you might think. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it that was said to people long ago. It's in the old covenant time. You shall not murder. And we're good with that. Anyone who murders is going to be subject to judgment. And we're good with that. That's okay. But, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Whose judgment? God's? Let's scare you. Again, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, whatever that means, we're going to get back to that one, that person will be answerable to the court. Whose court? Court of God? And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. You think the danger is in the word? Just saying the word fool? Therefore, Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift at the altar. Why would he do that? Because maybe our anger nullifies, maybe our anger negates and disqualifies our worship. What do you think? When we read that kind of stuff from Jesus and we're kind of like, seriously? That's kind of over the top, isn't it? Kind of out of control. I hope that's hyperbole, right? I mean, Jesus exaggerates sometimes. Maybe that's exaggeration on steroids. Whoever's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Whoever calls a person a fool is in danger of hell. Really? I mean, doesn't Jesus kind of contradict himself? He gets angry, right? He calls people fools, right? So let's dig down a little. Jesus says, verse 22, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I don't know how much to make out of this next little piece, but in the Greek New Testament, there are two words that are used for anger. And there's kind of a little difference between the two. They can be used synonymously. But this one kind of leans toward the kind of anger that swells up inside of a person. It's a slow burn. It's a stewing. It's a resentment, a bitterness that eats at you. I think it includes flash temper too. But don't ever forget that it also includes that slow kind of temper. 
anger that burns inside of us, which is scary to me because, guys, when I was younger, I used to be kind of a hot-tempered jerk. I would fly off the handle a lot. I don't lose my temper much anymore, but I'm still really good at the slow burn, stewing the resentment, the sneaky me. And if I'm a Jesus follower, it means I've got to listen, right? And then Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, I had a, a buddy in grad school who used to argue that Jesus was talking about the Sanhedrin. I mean, that's the highest kind of the Jewish Supreme Court back in the time of Jesus, and it doesn't exist any longer. And since he doesn't have to worry about that court, he'd go around calling people Raka, right? Whenever people annoyed him, Mark would say, you Raka, whatever that means. He wasn't serious. But it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what it means, but Bible's translated. It probably means something like, you idiot, stupid idiot. More literally, you nothing, you nobody. Good News Bible translated, you good for nothing. It's kind of like when we treat people like they don't matter. It's the eye roll that you give when someone that you despise talks. And it's kind of like Jesus is saying, your indifference. It's kind of like hate. God hates that. I don't know if either of these hits close to home for you yet. And then Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And when I was younger, I really did think the, the, the problem was with the word fool. By the way, the word fool in, in Greek, it's the word moros, which comes into English as moron, moron. He's actually saying that calling a person a fool, a moron, is kind of like murder murder of someone's reputation, which we do sometimes when we're angry at somebody, the murder of someone's self-confidence, which we do sometimes when we call them a fool, a moron. Is it about scorn, contempt, disdain, disrespect, derision, disparagement? And those things have become kind of an art form in our cancel culture, haven't they? In fact, I think that some Christians think they have the spiritual gift of contempt. I'm capable of that when I let my guard down. Are you? Now, let me give you a hint. We're not there yet, but let me give you a hint. There are two great commandments given to us by Jesus, right? The first one is you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the biggest. Number one, love God with everything that you have. Number two is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love each other. Those are the big two. Now, wouldn't it make sense that anything that prevents you from loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, anything that prevents you from loving your neighbor as yourself is a serious, serious problem. And wouldn't anger qualify as a danger to both? Now, anger's not always wrong, is it? The Bible's clear on that. In fact, the Bible kind of says that sometimes if you're not angry, there's something wrong with you spiritually. God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. The Apostle Paul got angry. He tells it's okay sometimes. James tells it's okay to get angry sometimes. He's the brother of Jesus. 
I'll show you. Now, if you pick through the Old Testament, you're going to find some variation of this idea frequently. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's cool. He is slow to anger. He's slow to anger, and he's rich in love, which means God doesn't have a fiery temple, a temper, thank God, but he does get angry. If you pick through the Jesus stories in the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus getting mad, getting angry several times. One time there's this guy who needs healing, and there are other guys who are ready to jump in if Jesus dares heal on the Sabbath. It says, Jesus looked around at them angrily. Jesus was mad, and he was saddened by the hardness of their hearts. The message says, Jesus looked them in the eye one after the other, angry now, furious at their hard-nosed religion. In another place, Jesus calls some of these Jewish leaders fools. Is he a hypocrite? I don't think so. Apostle Paul was a fierce Jesus follower. He would never support anything that Jesus was against. But Paul gets mad, calls people fools, way worse names. In fact, he says, in your anger, don't sin. You can be angry without sinning, and don't let the sun go down while you're angry because that might give Satan a foothold in your life. Good News Bible translate, if you become angry, don't let your anger lead you into sin, which means the anger itself is not necessarily sin yet. It's close. James was the brother of Jesus. James became a fierce Jesus follower. That's pretty amazing in itself. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Maybe a resurrection would help. James says, you guys, he's talking to us, you must all be quick to listen. Wouldn't that be cool, right? You must be slow to speak. Wouldn't that be cool? And slow to get angry. There is a time to be angry, but be careful. And don't be a hot-headed jerk. In fact, some of the greatest Christian teachers in history have taught that sometimes if you're not angry, something's wrong with you. And there is such a thing as a righteous anger. There are times when anger is right, right? An old dead guy named Chrysostom, he died about 1,700 years ago. He was a really, really smart Jesus follower, teacher. He says, he that is angry without cause sins. But he that is not angry when there is a cause, that guy sins too. Because unreasonable patience is a hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence. It incites not only the wicked, but it even incites the good to do wrong if there's no righteous anger. Tim Keller, really, really smart teacher up in New York, he says, righteous anger is love in motion. Righteous anger is love in motion. It's love in motion when it's directed as a threat, at a threat to someone that you're trying to love on. Just think about it, guys. Someone, someone's trying to hurt somebody that you love. It makes you mad, right? Should. Go after my kids. Go after my grandkids. It's going to fire me up. And it should. Unless my kids or grandkids are being stupid. It fires God up when someone goes after his kids. So righteous anger is good. Unrighteous anger is bad. When does it cross the line? What's the difference? And some of you guys are, are, are kind of like, well, as long as you've got a reason, as long as you've got a cause, fire it up. As long as the other person is being a jerk, go ahead, rage away. Wouldn't that be convenient? 
if you're just defending somebody that you love for the cause of love, anger's always right, right? Well, it depends. I actually think there's a clue in the text in what Jesus says next. Let's go back and review. Jesus says, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is going to be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, rock, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, is going to be in danger of the fire of hell. And then he says this. Watch this. Here it is. He says, therefore, therefore, these are connected. If you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're there in church worshiping God, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave. Leave your gift at the altar and go try to be reconciled first to them. And then come offer your gift. Why would he say that? Maybe because of those two great commandments. Remember them? Love God with everything that you have. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love each other. You know what anger can do to both of those commandments? Have you ever wanted your anger more than you wanted God? Have you ever cherished your anger more than you cherish God? I'm serious. And God tells you to be magnanimous. Don't be such a hot-headed jerk. God tells you to forgive, and you're like, no. God may forgive him, but I never will. Because you want your anger more than you want peace with God. Because you cherish your anger more than you cherish your God. Did you know that if you keep holding on to your anger, if you allow your anger to morph into bitterness, if you let your anger control you, that you will inevitably start pushing God away? You've got to. You're calling Jesus your Lord, but he's not. Your anger is more important to you than he is because you're refusing to follow him, right? Right? So maybe he tells us to leave church and make peace with a brother or sister, then come back, because how can you really worship God when your unforgiveness proves that he's really not the Lord of your life? See, without God, without God getting in the way, it doesn't matter if you're a hot-tempered jerk. It doesn't matter if you're sneaky mean. But if we say that we believe in God and our anger is more precious to us than he is, then we've got an issue. Right? See, there is righteous anger. But when our anger starts getting disconnected, unrooted from our love, when our anger starts getting disconnected from our love of God, when our anger starts getting disconnecting us from our love of each other the way he commands us to, it starts becoming no longer righteous. When in your anger you start dissing and disparaging and accusing and marginalizing and hurting people that you're supposed to love, it is no longer righteous. Remember those big two? Love God with everything you've got. Love each other in the same way you love yourselves. And if anger gets in the way of either one, then maybe you need to leave this place and make things right with a brother or sister because your unrighteous anger is making your worship here a game. Jesus says you're courting serious spiritual danger. Now that's 
just one of the kinds of problems caused by anger, right? I mean, one guy calls anger the dynamite of the soul because it's so powerful and anger can do so much damage. You think about how angry we are as a culture and then think about the kind of damage that it does. Did you know that just physically anger can cause headaches and digestive issues, insomnia, depression, high blood pressure, skin problems, heart attacks, and strokes? We're so mad. Did you know that anger damages your ability to think, to make good decisions? You ever said or done something really stupid in the heat of the moment? And afterwards, you felt like a jerk or a fool? You know why? Because you were a jerk or a fool, right? And did you know that, I'm sure you did, that anger, if it's managed improperly, is going to destroy relationships? Tear up a marriage, tear up a family, tear up a friendship, tear up a church. It can destroy a person, it can destroy a woman, a child's reputation, it can destroy their spirit. Have you ever been deeply, deeply wounded by something someone said or did to you in anger? Are there people who go around carrying scars that you caused from your anger? Did you know that anger is addictive? You see that out in our world. You can see it in some of us. The more you get angry, the easier it is to stay that way. You get drunk with anger. And people talking about needing to vent. They want to vent and rage, and they think somehow they have to get it out. Did you know that venting and raging is just going to make it deeper inside of you? The more it starts to define you. And the more it defines you, the more it starts pushing God off the throne of your life, doesn't it? And like addicts, we justify our sin. We deny our sin and we blame our sin on somebody else. It's not my fault. She made me mad. You know what he did to me? You know what she said to me? So Jesus says this. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. We get that. By that standard, most of us would be fine, right? And then Jesus takes it much, much deeper. He says, in the New Covenant... Even if you're angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. So be careful. Be really careful. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Be careful. If you curse somebody, you're actually in danger of the fires of hell, Jesus says. You're playing with fire. Do we care? These aren't just weird ideas for a Jesus follower. I mean, Jesus is actually telling us how to be different how to be Jesus followers. We have to show them a better way. We have a world that's in the grips of anger. We've got to show them a different way. We've got to show them that Jesus makes a profound difference in this world as well as the next. It's a better way, guys. And if we're not trying to follow him, can we really say that we believe in him? We may believe some stuff about Jesus, but do we really trust him? Do you? I mean, I know this stuff's hard. Truth and grace. Truth and grace. We not only get them from Jesus, but he wants us to live them out. We try to live them out because of Jesus. That means 
First of all, magnanimity. I love that word. I don't know if you use it much. You know what it means? It means that you're not easily wounded. It means you don't walk around just daring someone to offend you. It means that you're capable of just blowing off those little microaggressions. It means you don't carry grudges when someone says something careless or does something thoughtless. It means you're not going to cancel somebody because of something stupid they did a year ago or 10 years ago or however long ago. That's magnanimity. You're a big-souled person, not a little guy waiting to get hurt. And it means forgiveness. Instead of letting the anger morph into bitterness and letting, instead of letting the anger morph inside of you into sin, truth and grace mean forgiveness. Kind of the way he forgives us. Now go ahead and defend those that you love. That's righteous. But don't let that anger drive a wedge between you and God and don't let that anger drive a wedge between you and those people that God is calling on you to love. Listen, guys, it boils down to treating others the way that we want God to treat us, right? I expect God to be angry with my sin. I'm good with that because he loves me and he wants better for me. And I, I expect God to be angry with anything that tears up or tears at his kids because he loves us. But I want God's magnanimity and I want God's grace, don't you? So, Jesus says, if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple, worship, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave it there. Go be reconciled to that person and come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, I've always wondered, this may be a little bit of a stretch to you, but I've always wondered if that's connected what the Apostle Paul was talking about in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. We call it 1 Corinthians. And Paul says this. He says, when you come together on a Sunday, <laughs> this is what he says. He says, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. He says, I know that you're eating the crackers and you're drinking the juice. I know you're going through the motions, but it's really not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Do you know why? Because of the way you're treating each other. Because when you're eating, some of you guys at that time go ahead with your private suppers. One person gets hungry, another gets drunk, other people are just hungry. In other words, away from the table, they're humiliating each other. They're disrespecting each other. They're marginalizing each other. And Paul says the way they treat each other outside the table negates what they try to do at the table. So he says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord, the blood of the Lord. And I've always wondered whether the unworthy manner is about refusing to obey the second great commandment, which is what he's talking about in this text. And if you refuse to obey the second commandment, you can't obey the first. If you refuse to love each other, you can't love on your God. So he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Pay attention. Because anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ, what does that mean? I think it means the church. 
I think it means that trying to love on God without loving on each other is an issue. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ will actually drink judgment upon themselves rather than grace. Which is why he says, many among you were weak and sick and some have fallen asleep or died. So, there may be some of us here who need to make peace with a brother or sister so our worship of God will actually mean something. Maybe we're discovering that our anger is more important than our peace with God and we need to reverse that. What do you think? So, let's worship our God by eating the bread and drinking the cup together. But let's make it a time of self-examination. In fact, some of you guys may need to determine right now that you need to do some reconciling. At least make the decision to make the attempt, guys, before you do some communing with God. Lord's Supper is a time when we confess our sins. It's a time when we reaffirm that He really is the Lord and Savior of our life. And it's a time to taste His grace. We're going to do it a little differently this morning. In just a moment, after I pray, I'm going to ask you to come up to the tables, pick up the bread and the cup, take them to your seats, and just hold them there. And I'd like us to take them together. Let's pray together. Father, your grace blows our minds. It's not just about your forgiving us. It's you're wanting us to walk in your ways follow your path to be Jesus' followers. Give us the wisdom and the courage to be people of God. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Would you come get the elements?